Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 239 of the Ardella Training Podcast, where we attempt to bridge the gaps in strength, performance, and injury prevention. And uh, this week, my guest is professional bodybuilder Ben Pikulski, and we are going to uh, talk about muscle building, a uncommon approach to muscle building. And this is a great interview that I did with Ben uh, some time ago, actually. I, th- I think we did this interview back in December. And uh, quite honestly, this is an interview that I have wanted to uh, bring to you for some time. Now, I do want to make a quick comment about last week's episode. Obviously, that was a uh, very different episode than uh, I've ever done on the podcast. As I mentioned in that show, I really had three choices to do last week, and at the time, I chose the best one. I chose to really share with you what was going on, uh, the unfortunate events that were going on in my community. However, with that said, um, I thought it was important to return back to some sense of normalcy with the show and get back on topic because this is a strength training podcast. This is a performance podcast, a fitness podcast. And even though we're talking about muscle building today with Ben, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have any plans to deviate the focus of this podcast. Uh, I do plan to do one follow-up session uh, from last week, and that interview is around really self-defense. So we will talk about that in a future episode. And then again, the focus here, the focus for the Ardella Training Podcast is around strength and performance training. And whether we're talking about muscle building, nutrition, weightlifting, kettlebells, whatever it is, we are not deviating uh, from that because that that is not why I, I created this show. That's not why I do the show. So I just wanted to expand a little bit more on that and, uh, again, get back to normal uh, things that we talk about here on the podcast. Last week was very difficult, very challenging, and if you heard that session, you know exactly what I mean. Now, let's talk about this interview, and uh, and then we're going to get right into it. So this week, you're going to hear how Ben approaches muscle building, which is definitely different than what you typically hear about uh, as far as uh, building muscle. You're going to learn what he says is the most important factor for muscle building and hypertrophy. And this is definitely different. We talk a lot about that. You're going to learn what drives him in his training today because this is completely different than what drove him as a competitor at the highest level in bodybuilding. And you're going to get some great closing advice for muscle building and fat loss. He really shared some great stuff right as we were concluding the interview. So a very dynamic session, a lot of great insights here. I think you're definitely going to uh, enjoy the session. And uh, so let's do it. Let's jump into the interview this week with my guest, Ben Pikulski. Enjoy. All right, guys, Ben Pikulski is a IFBB professional bodybuilder, and you can learn about Ben's work and approach at benpikulski.com. Ben is a podcaster, a entrepreneur, and of course, a world-leading hypertrophy expert. And uh, Ben, welcome to the show. Uh, got a lot of great questions for you. I think this is going to be a really valuable session for the audience here today. And uh, Thanks, Scott. My pleasure. My pleasure. 
So listen, I know that uh, you're just coming off a pretty interesting weekend, the uh, Tony Robbins weekend here yeah. in South Florida. It was the Unleash Power Within seminar. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's really interesting because I attended that uh, a few years ago down here in Fort Lauderdale. So I, I know the experience that you just went through. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. What did you take away from this uh, immersion experience with Tony Robbins? So I think everybody goes there for a different reason. And for myself, I go as a student. I go, I go to learn, observe, and pay attention to the processes that Tony's putting everybody through. So um, someone who kind of influences or um, views myself as an influencer and someone who wants to impact a large number of people, um, paying attention to the intricate details of his process. And the guy's got the process down to a science, right? Like nobody in the, on the planet is influencing as many people as him, I don't think. Right. You know, the room was full of 10,000 people in all at various different, different places in their life, all from different walks of life. And he's taking you on this journey from, you know, the lowest of the low state that he can elicit in you to the highest of the high. Um, and just watching how he does it and paying attention to, you know, people's response and, um, you know, people's body language, how it shifts throughout the four days and even the little, th little things he's doing on stage. I was so lucky as to sit in the front row. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so I get to literally watch him from two feet away and just, you know, the things he's doing to, um, make sure everybody's state is uh, going in the direction he wants to from always having a smile to always having maximum energy. He never lets his posture change. He never lets his mood or his tone change unless it's a specific reason. Um, so I really enjoyed a lot of that stuff, man. Just, just watching someone who performs at such a high level for 12 hours in a day, right? He starts yeah. at 10 a.m., goes till 10 p.m. Actually, the first day was 11 to 11, but yeah. just crazy, right? And, and never, never, never peaks, never dips. It's always consistent, barely stops for bathroom breaks. Um, you know, he's just a machine. And then just lets you know what's possible. You know, I, I teach four-day courses, three-day courses, sometimes five-day courses. And by the end of it, man, you feel like you've been run over by a bus and just looking at how high he keeps that intensity for those days is just an incredible feat. So uh, as a student of um, public speaking, I, I envy the guy. I look up to him a lot and want to learn a lot from him. So uh, from that perspective, I learned a lot. And even from learning about myself and looking you know, deep into the depths of your, your self-limiting beliefs and your fears, um, and a lot of really interesting stuff came out of that, man. I got pages and pages of notes yeah. that uh, I'll definitely be referring back to. Yeah, it's heavy, heavy psychology and a lot of yeah. uh, big things to take away. Did you know what you were walking into when you went into that event? Like, did you hear about things? I did. So I'd actually been once before in 2007, believe it or not, which okay. is like okay. almost like a different lifetime for me. So even <laughs> prior to me, prior to me even being a professional bodybuilder. Um, so it was funny that I was living in Toronto at the time and um, Tony had an event in Toronto. I didn't even know about it. And I had just maybe been listening to him for like a month or two on like my iPod. Um, and a friend of mine goes, Hey, I'm, I'm like a block away from your house. Um, hosting a Tony Robbins seminar. I always like to come by. And I was like, sure. I just started listening to this stuff. I, and at that time I had no idea what I was getting into. I was, you know, it's, it's, I, I wasn't the most secure guy in the world. I mean, you know, I, as, as a guy who's an aspiring bodybuilder, you can imagine your ego is pretty big. You don't want to be dancing around, high-fiving, giving people hugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a really good um, situation to get me out of my comfort zone. So this time, I'm much more secure in myself. I'm much more confident. Um, I was much more into the process and enjoyed the process. Then it was like, this is kind of weird. Why is, it, why is he doing this? Whereas now, as a student of psychology as well, I understand it. Is there one big thing that, uh, or maybe one big shift that you took out of this weekend's seminar as I ask you that question? 
I mean, I know there's, there's so much to take away from it, but is there so much? Um, so two things really like Tony takes you to the deepest, deepest depths of your biggest fears and, and then amplifies it and then amplifies it. And he's like, what's that going to be like in 10 years? What's that going to feel like in 20 years? And you know what I'm talking about? The Dickens method. And just the idea of like, if there's something in your life you're putting off because you don't want to, you don't want to suffer or incur the short term discomfort or pain that you associate with it. Well, now amplify that over what it's going to look like if you put it off for the next 10 years or 20 years and how bad could it possibly be? And that in itself was a hugely impactful process as, as you know, as it was for everybody, yeah. uh, you're like, Oh man, I should definitely not put that off anymore because if it went to that, I would be very, very upset. Uh, and then just the idea of, you know, your, your physiology determines your psychology, which is so true, man. Like you can absolutely make a shift in your, in your psychology just by changing the way you hold your posture or the way you breathe or the way you stand, you know, all those simple things are such quick, uh, triggers to your body to say, Hey man, wake up, you know, bring your energy up, your level up a little bit. Got it. Now I feel like we could keep digging and digging into the Tony Robbins, but let's talk about muscle building and, and hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions there. Thank you for sharing sure. your insights coming off. Oh, this my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so actually, as I understand it, you, when you started bodybuilding, you didn't want to become big. Like that wasn't really your, your goal when you started training. Is that right? That's correct. Um, I, uh, 14 years old, I was an athlete. I was, um, you know, 150 pounds. I had scholarships to play baseball, uh, or at least being offered to me. Uh, and I started going to the gym on advice of one of my coaches so I could get faster to play ball. And, um, I started getting faster, but I started liking the gym and just, I liked training, I liked the way it felt. Um, you know, I picked up my first flex magazine and I thought it was disgusting. I was like, that's, I don't ever want to look like that, man. I just want, I want to be lean. I want to be ripped. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of working hard. Um, so I just liked the way it felt. So I kept doing it and, uh, got better at it. And, you know, I set a short term goal for myself. So like I said, I started at about 150, 155 and I wasn't lean by any stretch. I was probably, you know, 15 to 18% body fat at 150 pounds. Um, and I set the goal to be 170 and I achieved that. And, you know, like, like always, I wasn't quite happy. So I was like, well, I just want to be 185. And then I got to 185 and then it turned into 210 and I was like, oh, you know, maybe it'll be 230. And it just kind of went from there. And then you go to university, I spent four years in university in Canada and, uh, inevitably, you know, there's, there's some partying, there's some junk food cause you don't have a lot of cash. So I, you know, wasn't completely happy with the way I looked. And when I was finished, I got a pharmaceutical sales job so I could look like a boss in my suit. I decided I wanted to get shredded. Did a bodybuilding show, so I had an external goal, and I won the show. Uh, did another show three weeks later, I won that show, and then people started paying me to work out. So it just kind of became, um, you know, labor of love, and and uh, turned into a career. So you realized kind of early on that you had some natural gifts in terms of bodybuilding and and building muscle mass. Yeah, maybe, man. Um, certain body parts develop relatively easy, I would say. Like. I was pretty strong, I, you know, certain body parts, certain body parts. I was extremely weak. I was writing about this yesterday. You know, the first time I squatted, I squatted 225 for 20 reps. But for I think it was probably eight or nine months, I couldn't physically curl the 12-pound dumbbells, uh, which is kind of funny. You know, you wow. get girls that are doing the 20-pound <laughs> That's true. Um, so it's funny, I, you know, different body parts, different different mechanical levers. Um yeah. So, uh, some things develop relatively quickly and relatively easily. Um, but for me, it was just like persistence. I also went from being a long distance runner who was a vegetarian 
to, you know, basically training twice a day with weights and eating, eating as many calories as I could. So inevitably your body's going to respond to just the kind of, the kind of opposite stimulus. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got to a point where I put on a bunch of muscle, I don't know about it was easy, but I put on a bunch of muscle because I was focused. And then I got to the point where like certain body parts just wouldn't grow. And that kind of became the catalyst for I was like, well, how come I can build this body part and I can't build this body part? Um, so it, my brain started spinning and I'm like, well, what's the difference? You know, people say, well, genetics. And, uh, you know, because my dad had genetic arm, weak arms genetically, maybe that means I have weak arms genetically. But if you look down at the depths of what that means, all it means is genetically you have different size uh, arm length, uh, different size um, rib cage, different length clavicles. If you, if you can build muscle in one body part, you can build it in all of them. So I learned that really, really early on. And just it's just a matter of how your body distributes tension. So if you can learn to redirect tension to the muscles that you want to be working, then all of a sudden you shift the cards in your favor. What is the simple answer to this question? What, what is the most important factor for building muscle mass? I mean, obviously, there's many factors nutritionally sure. and training-wise. What's, what's the most important? Is there a most important factor? Sure. Um, I, I'm going to walk you down a little bit of a path in the shortest amount of time possible. So as an athlete growing up, everyone attaches themselves to an external goal. You, um, you want to get faster. You want to jump higher. You want to lift more weight. Maybe you want to score more goals. So you're attached to what's happening outside of yourself. And we, so we, we start to attribute this external motivation with athletics. And then we shift into, you know, the fitness realm and try to start changing our physique. And we stay attached to that external um, outcome, that external objective. Well, I want to lift more weight or I want to do more sets or I want to do more reps or whatever it is. When in reality, when you're trying to change your body, the objective is what's is to alter what's happening inside your body. So creating an internal focus. My body doesn't know if I lifted 400 pounds for 10 reps or 315 pounds for 10 reps. It just knows that I'm giving it this really specific muscle building stimulus. So well, what is that stimulus? And that stimulus all starts with maximum amount of tension to a muscle. It's not just tension. It's significant tension, right? It can't just be, oh, I'm going to put a little bit of load through this muscle. No, it's like I got to put as much as I possibly can, literally like laser target this tension through this muscle, like pinpoint precision. Um, and at the same time, trying to eliminate all the other muscles from assisting, because if all those other muscles are assisting, then the muscle I'm trying to work is getting less work. So and, and accepting the fact and acknowledging the fact that genetically and evolutionarily, we are built to distribute the load. We're not built to isolate muscles, right? Our bodies are built to distribute load to as many muscles as possible. So it's my job to literally overcome thousands of years of evolutionary programming to be able to isolate this muscle to make it do the greatest amount of work possible. And it's a hard thing to overcome unless you learn to start paying attention to things. As far as the science of hypertrophy, what questions still need to be answered? Do we know everything about the science of muscle building at this point? I don't think we know anything, to be honest. It's very, very small what we know. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the paradigm in the fitness industry needs to shift. Um, if people don't realize that it, what happens outside of your body doesn't matter, all that matters is what happens inside your body, it, they're in for a long, hard road, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. We're so attached to the egocentric uh, necessity to lift more weight or to brag about how much I lifted or even for some people to brag about how sore I am or how much my joints hurt because I trained so quote unquote hard. Right. But what the hell is what is hard work, right? Is like 
is, is lifting more weight hard work? Well, if it's not creating the response I want inside my body, then is it hard or is it just work, right? Like if my goal is to do work, go lift some sandbags and, and keep moving along. But if your goal is to achieve a specific result, well, I want to make sure I'm achieving that certain internal result. So um, that that's the first thing people need to realize. And then as far as the actual mechanisms of hypertrophy, um, we have an idea of how to uh, most effectively elicit the response, but we're so limited because, you know, here in my gym, I've got some of the most brilliant trainers in the world and we're always asking questions, but we're extremely limited in our ability to test anything because the testing mechanisms are very primitive. Um, so we can't test uh, literally anything. So it, it almost like puts a puts a, a damping on your thought process because you're like, oh, I can't test that. So it kind of goes out the window. Um, so there's so many things we don't know. And, and the next reality is everyone's different. So what may work for you may not work for me. But we all know that the base of everything is creating tension in, a, in an isolated muscle. So if you're going to do anything, start there. You know, <laughs> manipulating sets and reps doesn't matter unless you can qualify the stimulus, right? Unless I know that that one rep is always eliciting the exact same amount of stimulus, what matter, to, what, what matter does it make if I – count reps if it's always going to be a different amount of work to that muscle, right? The muscle is always going to distribute load. Um, I need to make sure that I standardize and qualify that 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 um, work um, before any sets and reps ever matter. And that is the step that everybody's missing. When you talk about tension, what are the techniques that you use that you teach uh, specific to muscle building? Man, I mean, some of the simplest ones for some of your listeners is the simple idea that if I was to tell you to Scott, go push a car, would it be easier to push once it was moving or would it be hard uh, or when it stopped? And the answer is obviously it's going to be easier once it's moving. So your body is always going to want to do that. So we're trying to make the work as hard as possible for that muscle. So ideally, I suggest everybody stop after every rep. And that doesn't mean like stop and rest. That means at least pause and eliminate momentum and inertia, right? Because I want that muscle that I'm trying to load to do as much work as possible and realizing my body's going to do everything in its power to try to use all the other muscles to bounce or create momentum, create inertia. So if you could just simply stop. After every single rep, and like I said, that's not like a complete stop. It's more of a pause just to make sure that your body's not swinging or something else isn't moving first. So what I always say is initiate with the working muscle. So if I'm trying to work my bicep, you got to make sure that contracts first. And it's not a hip swing. It's not like a shoulder movement. The, the bicep contracts first, and then I, I finish the rep by contracting through with the bicep. Um, you know, that's a really important one. And, and the next one to that is – you have to create the most stable environment possible, right? Like you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. It's kind of one of the metaphors we always use here. If you're trying to, and don't kid yourself, like to build muscle, you have to generate maximum tension in a muscle, significant tension, like I said. And to do that, you can't do that on an unstable surface. Or you can't do that from an unstable platform in your muscle. So um, it's very important to acknowledge that a muscle has two ends. One end is the origin, one end is the is insertion. That doesn't matter, the names don't matter. But the origin is closer to the midline of your body. And when you're training, it's absolutely essential that that origin doesn't move in, in any direction. So because if I'm trying to create tension, let's say I have this imaginary rope between my hands and I'm trying to ma maximally create as much tension as I can in that rope. But both ends are moving. Is there any tension going to be created in that rope? 
No. If I want to create tension in that rope, one end needs to be locked in stone in order for me to pull on the other end and actually create some tension, right? So if, I, if that other end, in this case the origin end, is moving in any way, I'm losing my capacity to create work in the muscle I'm trying to isolate. So those two things, right, is like – so the, the, the terms I use for your listeners to kind of zero in on is uh, initiate with the working muscle and even before that – Lock your body in stone and make sure the only thing is moving is the muscle I'm trying to train. So eliminate extraneous movement, lock your body in stone, and then initiate. And if you can get those ones, I guarantee your body will change in a very short amount of time. I also guarantee the amount of weight you're using is going to go down, but realize that's going to be that's going to be short term. But it's also going to be a much more true representation of the actual load that the muscle you're trying to train is able to use. So Ben, it sounds like your approach really has a functional or performance component to the way that you approach, uh, muscle building. Is it, is it fair to say that? Yes and no. Um, if you're, if you're an athlete training, the, uh, skill is extremely important. Um, and I'm almost trying to, um, so when I say the skill, like if I'm trying to be a better jumper, if I'm trying to be a better, um, I don't know, sprinter, um, if I'm trying to be better at the squat, if I'm a powerlifter or a crossfit or something, I need to train that skill. And, Training muscles is very different than training a skill. Um, so th there, there's varying ways to look at this. But if I'm trying to learn how to get better at performing a skill, then it almost makes sense for me to use momentum, use inertia, um, and, and teach my body how to be really, really good at those things. Whereas if I realize that in, in that skill, somewhere in that skill, some muscle happens to be breaking down first, then what I would use would be our type of isolation hypertrophy training. Because if I'm doing a squat and I realize like my quads are really strong, but my glutes don't seem to be doing very well, so I end up hurting my lower back or something along those lines, it would obviously take a trained eye to determine. Then an isolated exercise for your glutes would make a lot of sense to kind of level it up and bring it up to the level that the, the quads are training at, right? Um, so it kind of depends, man. You know, to answer your question, the way I describe it to most people is hypertrophy training is a complete dichotomy to powerlifting and strength training. It's complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Like yeah, yeah. I'm trying to make it as hard as possible for a muscle, for someone who's trying to build muscle or improve my physique, you know, physique training. Someone who's trying to lift weight, you're trying to make it as easy as possible and use as many muscles as possible, right? You're trying to distribute that load as evenly as possible, whereas muscle building hypertrophy training is complete opposite end of that spectrum. What would be your advice to the uh, strength athlete? That, so we're just talking about that, but uh, a strength athlete that is off season and they're training specifically in a hypertrophy phase, would you have them go in kind of a traditional kind of bodybuilding approach in that hypertrophy phase, or what advice do you have for that that type of athlete? And let, let's take let's take a weightlifter specifically, Olympic weightlifter. Okay. Well, the, the easiest way in the same way I approach bodybuilding is you need to look at your limiting factor, right? Like what was breaking first? If, it, if it's something in your lift that tends to be the weakest link in the chain, yeah. you have to isolate that and realize that whether you're, you're playing basketball or powerlifting, strength training or bodybuilding, it's still muscles, man. It's still muscles making things move. And you just need to make sure the muscles are doing what you want them to do in the appropriate percentage and amount that you want them to do. So, you know, depending on the first thing I you say is you identify what you want to improve, figure out what joints are being influenced and isolate that motion to try to strengthen it in particular ranges of motion. That's what I think, again, coming back to the thought process of um, internal focus, 
you know, people attach to how much they're lifting. And if they want to get better at those lifts, it's a really good idea to stop, break it down and look inside the body and go like, if I'm going to squat, how much does this hip joint travel? How much does this knee joint travel? And acknowledge that you need to train those in isolation or you can train them in isolation to actually get better at the skill, right? So if I want to, you know, I, I think I could train for a powerlifting meet and be one of the best squatters in the world, never squatting. If you learn how to maybe air squat or you squat with just the bar and you load the heck out of the glute and the quad, because those are proportionally getting stronger by deductive reasoning, the squat should get, will get stronger provided you've mastered the skill, right? Where I think a lot of powerlifters and strength athletes go wrong is they overtrain the skill and they train it with bad habits. So instead of mastering the skill so it never breaks, they start allowing um, compensation patterns to, to, um, to creep in and then the skill becomes less effective, less efficient. And then they realize, and they kind of hit a plateau and like, Oh shoot, I can't hit a plateau because their skill is suffering. How do you assess uh, skill or performance for, for any athletes? Do you have any movement um, screens or assessments that you use or how do you like to identify the weak links that you talked about? Uh, it has to be sport specific. So like, I don't, you know, uh, kind of subscribe to any particular um, schools of thought when it comes to, hey, you need to do the, this movement screen or that movement screen because every athlete's different and uh, everyone's proportions are different. So, you know, making the assessment that I have to be really good at a one-leg squat or I have to be really good at a two-leg squat, if my body isn't meant for that, it's kind of ridiculous in my eyes. So it only, in, in, from my perspective, relates to what is my objective in the sport and how can I, I get better at it while preventing injury because ultimately a lot of the time that's the number one concern is, is things get injured because of um, disparities in strength, right? Like one muscle becomes really, really do dominant and strong and one thing is kind of underworking and then that, that kind of strength gradient what is what I call it is, is typically the reason that, that things start to break. And if we can eliminate strength gradients, um, create a really stable core. So if I was to say I subscribe to any one um, school of thought to get to make an athlete better – it's how do you make their core, their trunk, and their their pelvis as strong and stable as possible? So everything from you know, all the way down to the pelvic floor, all the way up to the top of the stabilization muscles in the back. Uh, that's most important because that's kind of like your um, you know your base to be able to fire everything off. And if you improve that, then all of a sudden everything else around it moves a little more effectively. Like you see, most people have terrible posture. Most people have muscular imbalances. But to answer your question, there's no movement screen that I think is anywhere near adequate um, because it needs to be person-to-person -person basis. Right. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to what you were talking about with the internal focus. And I'm wondering, is there anything, a practical application for uh, the listener? They don't, they don't know what internal focus is or how to use that. Is there, is there a simple technique or some way that – they can start to think about that and apply that in their training. Yeah, um, it's super easy. If you can simply acknowledge that every muscle in the body has two ends, they're called the origin insertion. You need to know that. Right, they're right. called an origin insertion. Uh, and all they do, all a muscle does is pull one end closer to the other. That's literally it. So if, when I'm training, my eyes are, I'd say 90% of the time are closed. So it prevents me from focusing on what's happening outside of my body. It allows me to go inside my body. And I, and I picture the uh, my whole body literally cast in stone so nothing is moving. And then I think about stabilizing the origin and bringing the insertion closer to the origin. And that's literally it. And nothing else is allowed to move. 
Uh, and that in itself is a game changer. If you can start shifting from the attachment to, I did eight reps or I did six reps with whatever amount of weight, it doesn't matter. Um, what matters first is that we qualify those uh, those reps so that we can qualify the amount of work actually done to that muscle. And then, and only then does manipulating sets of reps start to matter. Okay. So if you can envision like, Hey, a pec, where's my pec insert? Well, my, obviously my pec originates on the sternum inserts over here, you know, up on the humerus. And if anybody doesn't know that, I mean, you can look it up on my, my website. It's all very clear. Or you can look it up anywhere on the internet origin insertion of any muscle. I have tons of stuff on YouTube and on my, and my 40 nation members site. Um, just teaching people like, hey, man, that's the origin, that's the insertion. What would you do if I just said, forget about what's happening outside your body. I just said, bring this point closer to this point. What would it look like? Yeah. And you go, oh, just that. And, and I'm like, okay, now how can we do that and add resistance to that? Yeah. Oh, so if I added resistance here, that would do that. And people, It gets them thinking rather than being mindless in the gym. And that's what we are, right? It's like trying to just be mindful in the gym because being mindful in gym, paying attention to your body, paying attention to positions transfers outside of the gym. And that, that's a huge cross benefit that we see is like, you know, if, if you learn to be mindful and overcome your ego's desire to, to cheat, your ego's desire to just, you know, attach to numbers, attach to external goals, um, it ends up just transferring to life to being so much more mindful and overcoming the ego in so many ways. Yeah. So really, so that's great. So again, that internal focus is really just thinking about that origin and insertion and, and bringing yeah. those two points together. Yeah. To and, and preventing anything else from, from moving. Cause it, as if you're moving, something else is assisting movement. Your body isn't moving by accident. Your body's moving to try to make something mechanically easier for yourself. So you want to avoid that. I'm always saying like, look for the pain, look for the discomfort because, the harder you can make it for yourself, the greater the opportunity for progress, right? And realize your ego and your body's always trying to scoot to scoot out. So you've got to you got to hold your feet to the fire. Is to your, use a Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Is your approach to uh, to bodybuilding more of the the thinking man's approach to to bodybuilding? I mean, is it? It has it has to be, man. It has to be um, for anyone who and people. I say, well, Ronnie Coleman doesn't train like that, or you know, Arnold didn't train like that. Well. The only response is, man, you're not them, and neither am I. And if I was them, I wouldn't be training this way either, to be honest. I would have never had the necessity to learn this stuff. I just could have went in there and been mindless and been a, you know, slinging weights like a monkey, and I would grow too. But I'm not that way, man. And if you want, if you're somebody who wants to build muscle, uh, you need to learn how to do it mindfully for sure. It needs to be the intelligent approach to muscle building. And we, I believe, are the catalyst for shifting the paradigm of the fitness industry, man, toward intelligent muscle building. Uh, I'm going to save a question I could go with right now. I'll save that for later. But I, one question I do want to ask you is around sarcoplasmic hypertrophy versus myofibrillar hypertrophy. Sure. First, can you give a quick definition of what those terms mean? And then do you think there is a way to train to selectively target either of those uh, approaches to muscle building? Or is that just kind of something that's there's really no science behind it. What are, you, what are your thoughts? No, on that? there's definitely a science behind it. So myofibrillar hypertrophy is effectively the typical hypertrophy that we think about, that we know about uh, adding proteins. So we're causing muscle damage. Um, you know, we're literally breaking down um, the muscle fibers and we're reaccumulating um, more protein. So your body senses damage and in response, it's going to start by, it's going to respond by growing thicker fibers. Um, 
So that's caused typically by heavy amounts of tension, heavy amounts of load in greater eccentric loading. So we tend to get more muscle damage on the eccentric phase of the lift. So um, on the negative portion of the lift. So if I spend more time in, uh, intentionally, obviously, if, if I um, choose to spend more time on that negative portion of the lift by slowing down the lift, by uh, maybe using heavier loads, overloading the eccentric in some way, I'm going to experience, likely experience more myofibular hypertrophy, whereas sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is going to be typically a result of more oxidative stress, of more cell swelling, so um, often more concentric loading and um, more time under tension, more um, oxidative stress, which comes as a result of uh, less time between sets. So giving your body less time to respond, your body's going to thereby send more blood, more nutrients um, to effectively expand the cells. So it's just a different mechanism. And, and most people it find, I find these days are tend to be using more sarcoplasmic uh, mechanisms so that it often looks a little bit swollen. It looks a little bit soft. And then when they go into a competition phase, they're like, oh, man, I lost all this muscle. You probably didn't lose muscle. You just probably lose all that retentive water that you were accumulating from excessive, um, you know, hyperemia type uh, stimulus. With the myofibrillar hypertrophy, is it more of the strength power athlete that would have that type of muscle effect? Yes and no. Yes, you're on the right track. I mean, it's the idea of the greater the amount of tension, the greater the myofibular hypertrophy. And it's just kind of the range that you choose to stay in, right? So typically you would say, yes, someone who does, who stays in the four to seven rep range may experience more myofibular hypertrophy. Uh, but again, making that generalization is kind of tough to do because it's, again, going to depend on what muscles am I using to to do those reps because a lot of people when they get into those four to seven reps tend to just use whatever it's like just go for gusto and i'm going to do as much as i can yeah. uh, which again doesn't always equate to specific hypertrophy got it if we're looking at uh training variables now i i believe i heard brad schoenfeld say that volume is the number one driver to induce hypertrophy what are your thoughts on that i think that's uh incorrect um, manipulating volume could be uh, a very strong driver. But so here's the disconnect, Scott, is most people when they're training, the only option they have is manipulating volume because they're not qualifying the stimulus, right? They don't know exactly the amplitude of the stimulus or, or even that it's standardized. So the only thing, the only, it's, it's kind of the idea of like, you know, the only option you have left is to work harder. Like if, if, if you don't know, if you can't tell me definitively that, you know, each rep has been standardized, well, the only thing I have left, because it's ultimately guessing, the only thing I can do, well, I've hit a plateau, what's my only option? Either I stop and I take time off or I just work harder. And that's why Brad's suggesting, well, then you just need more volume, you need more volume, you need more volume. Well, not necessarily the case, because if I, if I know that I can specifically isolate and load this one muscle, then I can manipulate the things like you talked about, well, how much um, stress is being subjected to the nervous system? So am I, am I subjecting my body to a neurological type stress? So like a strength training type, type stress? Yeah. Or am I subjecting my body to a hypertrophy type stress? Or am I subjecting my body to a metabolic type stress, which is more like an oxidative stress? And then the fact that you can standardize each of those allows you to determine what type of um, respond, type of internal response 
your body's going to get to the external stimulus, right? Um, and allowing you to shift between each of those uh, types of stimulus would allow you to uh, effectively determine, um, one, how your body, the, the exact stimulus your body is getting subjected to, but then obviously how to manipulate it. Well, you know, maybe I'm doing hypertrophy focused phase for four to six weeks. Okay, well, I know I've kind of stressed out that system, so maybe I back out the hypertrophy system and I move into more of a neurological system. And it's going to depend on what response you see, um, you know, depending on your neurological efficiency. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, man, I disagree with volume being the primary driver. I think significant tension is the primary driver and learning how to manipulate those three variables. Do you like deloads in bodybuilding approaches? Do you think that they, they have a, a, a role? So certainly if we look at yeah. the strength training blocks – Sure. Uh, So look at it like that. Like, right. So I mentioned those three stimulus. You've got your neurological strength-based stimulus. You've got your hypertrophy stimulus, uh, which is primarily a muscle-based stimulus. And you've got your oxidative metabolic uh, stimulus. It's almost like three volume uh, knobs. And you you don't want to put all three up at the same time because then you're going to hurt yourself. But you want to have some combination of the three. So if I have my hypertrophy turned all the way up, then my neurological and my, my metabolic should typically be relatively down and then it's just a matter of fluctuating those almost like a, a dj would manipulate the sound so it's you know when you speak of deload people say well deload is, is you know just taking time off that can be the case but let's say i spent six weeks really stressing my nervous system by using extremely heavy loads but there wasn't a tremendous amount of muscular stress and there wasn't a tremendous amount of oxidative stress well now i can easily shift by reducing the, the strength stimulus, the neurological stimulus, so I bring the stress to my nervous system way down, and maybe I shift into an oxidative type stim- stimulus, which is much lighter loads, so much less stress to the, to the nervous system, but I'm still stressing the oxidative capacity of the cell, so I'm, I'm deloading one system, and then I'm increasing another system. So effectively, there isn't necessarily always a time for... Uh, or it's always necessary to have a deload. It's just maybe manipulating which system you're spending the most time in. Uh, and this is, again, something that a lot of people aren't talking about. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I love the idea of taking weights completely off. Yeah. Um, but it's not as necessary as people think. Um, it obviously depends on your goal, it, right? It like from a longevity perspective, yeah. like obviously take time off, please, because you want to decrease overall systemic stress and inflammation. But if you have a goal to reach a certain level of fitness – and taking a week off right now doesn't make a lot of sense for you. Maybe you're getting ready for a contest. Maybe you got a, something that you're, that's coming up. Well, just learning how to manipulate those three phases of stimulus is absolutely your best objective or your best opportunity. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Arnold somewhere uh, a couple of minutes ago. So I know that you've met Arnold. Uh, you know mm-hmm. Arnold, obviously. Um, yep. I'm sure that you've read Arnold, The Education of a Bodybuilder. We kind of all yep. read that book when we got started. Um, I know that was one of the first books that I ever read when I started. I know you don't know my story, but I, I actually was a bodybuilder for six years, like totally obsessed in the bodybuilding. Nice. And, um, that book like changed my life reading that book. So I'm curious, reading that book specifically, was there anything in that book that, uh, had a, a radical impact on you personally? No, man, nothing stands out to me. You know, it was so long ago that I read that book. Yeah. No, okay. That, so here's um, my follow up question to that. So yeah. this might be a little easier to answer, but Knowing Arnold, is there a greatest lesson that you have taken away from from Arnold and maybe his approach and everything that he's done for the sport of bodybuilding? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Um, you know, since I was four years old, 
I've always been a rule breaker. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of my thing, man. And I, and I look for people, influencers who are shifting the paradigm, who are, who are thinking outside of the common paradigm. And uh, I, those are kind of the people that I look to to surround myself with. I hate uh, living in somebody else's dream. I hate living in somebody else's paradigm, man. I, I love the idea of thinking outside the box and not following the rules. And that was definitely something I got from, or at least I, I noticed that Arnold was that guy too. Everyone did. Yeah. Um, and literally since I was a kid, I was like, you know, if someone says you must do it this way, I always say, well, I'm going to show you two other ways to do it, get the same result or better. Uh, it's always kind of been my, uh, my MO. So that's definitely something I learned from Arnold, or like I said, I see that Arnold does as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, we talked about the, the science of, of muscle building. I'm curious, is there any, any specific person, uh, a scientist in muscle building that you really look to their work and admire what they do in terms of, uh, man, there's one guy and he works right here in my gym and he's by far the smartest guy in muscle building. His name is Cassim Hansen. And, um, he's been my, uh, my head coach, my uh, business partner, and my, my greatest educator in the muscle building niche for the last five years. Um, so yeah, he's, he's living here in Tampa. Uh, he's actually going to be moving soon. So unfortunately, we're going to be losing him. But uh, he's been the greatest influence. He's definitely by far, uh, by, by far, leaps and bounds, has the greatest grasp of the muscle building process. There's nobody even close to understanding all the aspects. Um, when it comes to biomechanics, Tom Purvis is the king. Um, if you know Tom, RTS, resistance training specialist, Tom is the king. Nobody understands what the intricacies of the human body like that guy. Um, but And then uh, Greg Roscoff has been a big influence on me, his thought process with muscle activation techniques. Greg owns uh, muscle activation techniques. Those three guys have been massive influences for me. Um, there's another guy out of Toronto, Eric Seifert, who's actually a student of both Tom Purvis and Greg Roscoff. Um, all those guys are just such forward thinkers, man. And again, like thinking outside of the box and instead of following the crowd, they're, they're the ones kind of leading the crowd in the opposite direction. And that's just always been me. Um, and that's why I look up to those guys and, and it's almost to a fault that they do it. Like they're, they're so true to their beliefs and their, the things that they know about exercise that it's, uh, it's like such a high level of thinking that it's really hard to get low level thinkers to follow them. And they won't, um, you know, they, they won't like quote unquote bastardize their skill set yeah. to, to simplify it. So they just say, no, we don't want it. So, you know, financially, they could probably have a huge falling. A lot of people haven't heard of them because they're not the guys out there doing, you know, the drop your pains Instagram post, Instagram post showing their abs. Um, so they don't have all the guys who are, you know, kind of at the bottom of the pyramid following them. So you just mentioned Instagram, okay? And mm -hmm. uh, in preparation for this interview, I did a quick scan of your Instagram post. <laughs> so, uh, one thing that, that I saw that really kind of stuck out to me is uh, you had posted a picture of a book called Power, Sex, Suicide. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious, what, what were your thoughts on this book? Because I've heard other guests on the show actually mention this book. I haven't read it, but it's kind of been on my radar. What was your takeaway about this book? Uh, man, so I'm a student of um, everything that influences health and longevity and, um, you know, the body, really. So yeah. I spent um, the last two weeks in Germany. I actually went to the World Mitochondria Conference and tried to learn as much as I can about uh, mitochondria. So that's, that book's just teaching you about kind of the evolution of mitochondria and um, uh, the idea of where we came from 
potentially that we evolved from you know bacteria and uh, that typically our mitochondria is going to be a um uh, inherited from our mother's side and things like that. I think it's a good book. I think it was informative. Um, uh, I think anyone who's interested in understanding um, the ins and outs of uh, the mitochondria, it's definitely something you want to put on your list. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely worth a read. I learned a lot at the World Mitochondria Conference. The, the advances are uh, truly incredible what we're learning, how ultimately, you know, I'm sure you know, this is, we're run by bacteria, man. We are, you know, 90% bacteria and 10% human yeah. and they run our show, man. We're not running our show. They influence our, our brain chemistry. They influence our energy. They influence our brain state. Um, you know, they're, they're determining everything, man. And we're just, we're just passengers in this ride <laughs> apparently. And that, that's what they're finding out, right? Is, you know, they can, they communicate by photons of light, um, which typically why it's so important to sleep in the dark at night is so that your, your mitochondria, which is also bacteria, can communicate with your microbiome. Um, so those two things are communicated back and forth via photons of light is the suggestion. And they suggest that uh, literally they're they're controlling us, man. If they want to put us on our ass and, and make us sick, they'll do it. And very simply, if they want to change your brain state so that you have more serotonin or more melatonin or, you know, they'll, they'll do it, man. <laughs> they're in control. So... And obviously, we can influence them with how we eat, um, but uh, for the most part, man, we're just passengers. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you about that again. I had heard that, and I saw the book. I was like, oh, I got to ask him about that. So, um, so listen, I am going to jump ahead and ask one of the questions I ask every single guest uh, on this show, and that is, since we're talking about books, is there a book that has impacted you the most that you recommend the most to others? It depends on what aspect of life. Um, I've really enjoyed Joe Dispenza, who I've put on uh, my my Instagram as well. I actually had him on my podcast. Uh, he's a great guest. Joe Dispenza's got uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. He's got You Are the Placebo, and he's just released another one, which name is escaping me right now. Um, but he's he's a really good uh, thought leader. I think the guy, like, I mean, he's just coming off Tony Robbins somewhere. That's a huge one too. But the guy who I've really been appreciating his work lately is um, – Power versus Force, David Hawkins. And if, if anyone hasn't read Power versus Force in all of his subsequent books, Letting Go, uh, he's got you know five or six of them that are massive uh, paradigm shifters. And just understanding human interaction, human, human drivers, uh, and, and I guess how to optimize your thought process and optimize your life by changing um, you know, how, how you work and function and interpret things. Uh, if you haven't read that, it's definitely what I recommend. Okay. All right. A couple of, couple of resources there. Mm -hmm. I'll uh, find those and put links in the show notes. Ben, what are the most blatant myths or misunderstandings as it relates to muscle building? You got to lift heavy to grow is probably the most mindless one. Um, the amount of tension absolutely does matter. Like, you know, I say this before, everyone thinks that that progressive overload is the holy grail of muscle building. And the reality is it actually is, except that most people only attach to the load on the bar. It's not the load on the bar that you're trying to progressive, progressively overload. It's the amount of tension going through the muscle that should be progressing. So if people can start to understand the load on the bar is only half of the equation. And you'll know this, the equation for force is, you know, most people say it's mass times acceleration. Well, it's actually not. It's, 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 um, you know, mass times distance. Um, so distance is a huge component, uh, as far as, um, the, uh, equation for force around uh, 
in a circular movement, right? Which all, all joints move in an arc. So people are doing mass, forward, mass times acceleration. That's in a straight line. We don't move in straight lines anywhere. Everything's in an arc. So you have to consider the distance. And most people aren't considering the distance. So if I do a bench press and you know, I'm using dumbbells and I'm using 100-pound dumbbells and I do it for 10 reps – um, and you know, like, oh, that feels really good. I'm going to go to 110 and you do it for I mean, Let's say you do it for another 10 reps, but you actually bring them in closer to your shoulders. You've actually potentially done less work, even though you've used more weight um, as far as how much work your packs are going to have to do. And acknowledging that distance is such a huge and overlooked component of uh, progressive overload. So um, acknowledging, like I said, that progressive overload has very it's only half to do with what goes on the bar. The other half is what's going you know, the distance. Here's a question I should have asked probably in the beginning of the interview, but I, I, I do want to make sure that I ask it. But listen, we know that muscle building is great for aesthetic reasons. It's going to make us sure. look better, look more powerful, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, obviously. Um, but how important is muscle building for health reasons? Uh, so many layers, Scott. It is, you know, people may not know. I'm actually in the process of trying to lose 100 pounds of muscle now, and people think it's blasphemous, but – um, you know, I started at about 310 when I started, when I retired from bodybuilding. I'm just under two, I'm at 265 now, 270. So I'm 40 pounds down since uh, beginning of March. And uh, because I realized that, you know, muscle building served its purpose for me as a bodybuilder. And now I'm like, I see no more purpose. So speak to answer your question, my focus is all shifted toward like, well, how do I extend my life, live as long as possible? feel great, still obviously want to look great. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is I see muscle building as almost like a battleground for life, man. It's like challenge. Like how often in life do you really subject yourself to challenges and obstacles and, uh, you know, facing your fears and, and overcoming your egotistical drive to cheat? Um, so for me and for, you know, what I teach, you can literally turn the gym into your daily battleground for becoming a better human being by looking for opportunities to overcome your desire to be lazy. Um, so I think that's such a massive paradigm shift for people. You know, most people go through their life and they kind of go through the same things and there's not really many challenges throughout the day. And when they hit a challenge, all of a sudden they're so overwhelmed and they go into stress mode and panic mode. And the gym to me is uh, that transcendence of ego, which is such a big thing in life. How far, how important is it to health? And to go a little more deep on your question, it's probably the number one thing I would argue um, in maintaining health because ultimately cellular function is all about um, improving the way your body uses the nutrients you eat. Um, and that's massive, man. Like every, I think every human being on the planet should be subjected to some degree of load and tension in their day yes. um, to just, if anything, improve cellular uptake of the nutrients you're eating, right? Cellular signaling, improve mitochondrial function. Um, I mean, those two things in themselves, if you can do that on a day-to-day -day basis, like some type of hormetic stress to your, to your, to your system, um, you're way ahead of the game and uh, probably the best thing you can do to uh, keep old age at a distance. I agree. I should have clarified that question and you answered it perfectly. You answered the way that I was hoping you would. And that is talking about, uh, general muscle building effects and, and not mm. an extreme, you know, elite professional bodybuilder. Sure. Muscle building. Cause yeah. that's, that's, a, those are two different things. Dude, you know? I don't think anyone. <laughs> so, you know, here's what I tell everybody, you know, everybody goes, man, teach me how to build. I want to be a professional bodybuilder. So why do you want to be a professional bodybuilder? Well, Cause I like that muscle. No, you don't like, Never set the goal to be a professional bodybuilder for the muscle because, you know, man, I could give you 100 pounds of muscle 
And all of a sudden you look better, you feel better. It's kind of like driving a new car. Like I just bought a Lamborghini. I feel awesome for about three days. And then the Lamborghini wears off. <laughs> it's the person you become in the process. And that in itself is what muscle building is about. The reason we look up to the top bodybuilders in the world is not because they look great. Ultimately it is, but it's the discipline and the sacrifice that we admire in them, in their personalities, that th those people did something that I wasn't able to do. It's what most people are thinking, right? Those pro bodybuilders, they suffered. They put in so much work, so much time. They must have massive degrees of discipline and high, high levels of character and self-worth. So we put them on a pedestal just by looking. And that's why people automatically assume, well, if I look like that, well, I'll feel that way too. And the reality is you won't. You have to master the process. You have to face the discipline and make the sacrifices. And that is the glory of muscle building. And as soon as people can realize that, they become much better versions of themselves. That That is what we try to teach here. Let me ask you this, Ben. What, what continues to, to drive you today? Maybe you just kind of said that, but really what drives you in your training today? I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm having a hard time finding a motiv motivator in my training, man. So for the last 20 years, I've been so exclusively single-mindedly laser-focused on being the biggest, best bodybuilder on the planet and I've been removed from that for 12 months. Actually, I've kind of been removed from that mentally for longer than that. So I've got three children, man. And, and since my children were born, it's very hard to be a selfless or a selfish, um, you know, single-minded, focused human. Like, I'm, it was very hard for me to, um, you know, make them a second priority and make bodybuilding a certain a top priority. Because obviously, to be the best in the world, it has to be a top priority. Um, so since about 2013, I've kind of been mentally checked out and just really enjoying the, pro not enjoying the process sometimes, but going through the process uh, and, and, you know, competing and looking for a purpose. Every time I come to compete, I have to find my why. I have to find a clearer purpose. Couldn't find it. Um, so to answer the question now, I'm really just training um, to kind of have a minimum effective dose as I try to lose muscle, man. I'm doing a lot of um, cross training. So I shouldn't say CrossFit, but I'm doing like Muay Thai every week. I'm doing yoga four or five times a week. I'm riding my bike. Um, so trying to become like an, an athlete again. So like when I was obviously a teenager, I was a great athlete and um, my kids are growing up and I want to be able to kick their ass in teenage sports. <laughs> I don't want them to be the old guy who can't move. Um, so just the idea of being fit, healthy, I'm, so I'm thinking about doing a, uh, a relay triathlon. So I would do the bike portion of the triathlon. Uh, and then I want to be able to do cool stuff like that, you know, um, just because I haven't been able to do it for the last 20 years. So literally my focus is getting away from building muscle, obviously, and it's getting to, well, what's the minimum effective dose to um, stimulate my fat loss processes um, make sure my mitochondria is still getting stimulated. So I still feel good. My body still feels nice and stable and I'm still the master of the process. Like I still have to keep reinforcing the process because if you just don't train, obviously your nervous system will start unlearning a lot of these things. Um, so I still want to keep um, really, really diligent on that process because obviously I'm teaching people the process and I want to get better at the process. So to answer your question now, my training is only about understanding the process at a deeper level with zero attachment to the outcome. Do you uh, train heavy these days at all, like high intensities at all, or, or not not really? If I, if I was to describe my training style now, that's exactly how I would describe it. I would say I do high intensity style training. So I'm almost trying to train, um, you know, three times a week, full upper body one day, day off, full lower body the next day off, full upper body, kind of repeating through that. My legs were kind of big 
when I was competing. <laughs> so to try to get them down, I have to actually train less. And it sounds literally, I, I hate myself. I want to punch myself saying that out loud, but <laughs> <laughs> so for the last 20 years, man, I, I've been fo- so focused on busting my butt to build those things. And now like to get it off so I can actually be a normal functioning human being. Uh, it's kind of a different paradigm, man. So, um, you know, upper body, I'm still training hard, but it's literally like one all out set to failure per exercise kind of thing. Um, and relatively heavy because I'm not trying to elicit hypertrophy response, but I do want to be strong. So, um, you know, it's like I said, minimal volume, um, uh, maximum effort and intensity still perfect form. Okay. So you're a podcaster as well, doing a lot of shows these days. Uh, for my audience, they haven't heard your show. What's one episode they should go and check out immediately? Oh man. I, you honestly have so much fun in all of them. Um, recent ones, it depends. So if someone's into like the science of muscle building, I just did one with Jacques Taylor. Um, I did one with Tom Purvis who are both, uh, brilliant human beings, like blow your mind, kind of brilliant. Uh, if people are interested in the mindset stuff, um, I did one with Joe Dispenza, uh, he's killer. And if people want to um, master life and uh, their day-to-day routines and business, my business mentor, one of my business mentors, Craig Ballantyne, is another one who uh, he's also going to book the Perfect Day Formula. Those three, uh, depending on kind of what, what uh, genre you want to get into, yeah. those are definitely um, high performers. Yeah. And actually I've had uh, Craig on the show before. Uh, Perfect day formula is a great book. It's actually a pretty light read too. Yeah. Very easy uh, read. High, high value, high takeaways yep. there. So good stuff. Uh, ben, you want to tell us a little bit about your website and uh, sure. where people can find it. Um, yeah. You know, since we retired from being retired from bodybuilding, I've kind of made a big, pretty big shift in my entire business. It's still about muscle building, but I'm trying to reach more people. And, and like I said, I'm trying to give foundational principles rather than just hardcore muscle building principles. Because I think, and I realize now that, like I said, it's not about the muscle, man. It's about the person you become in the process. Obviously we want the muscle, but if you master the process, the muscle is so much easier, um, you know, just focusing on creating that internal state. So my, my business is really going through a shift right now toward just giving people the foundational necessities to um, kind of instill the, the principles of intelligent muscle building. So, you know, it's muscle, uh, MI40 Nation is kind of my prime hub, uh, muscle dash intelligence um, is really what we teach is kind of like we talked about, man, is teaching people to get away from the um, external focus, at least for the short time, for the, the short time, um, focus on what's happening inside your body, create the internal environment, create the internal response you're trying to get. Um, and then the external factors then start to matter more once you've mastered the internal focus. Um, so they can find that at mi4nation.com. It's a member site. It's cheap. We give you hundreds of videos. We give you workouts every month. Uh, I'm on there get doing video logs almost every day, at least a few times a week. Uh, plus all the awesome um, pro athletes and bodybuilders and stuff that come through my gym. We do you know day in life videos with them, stuff like that. So uh, it's really cool just kind of getting an insight into some of the brightest uh, muscle building minds in the world. And then there's the Muscle Expert Podcast, which you mentioned. Yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. So this has been great. Um, you know, I think about these interviews more deeply now myself as I do them, and I've been thinking about the big things that I learned. And one of the major things I've learned, several things out of this session, but uh, everything that you talked about with internal focus, focus, mm-hmm. I think, is really, really um, impactful uh, in training and specific to inducing muscle hypertrophy. So uh, thank you for sharing that. 
final question is, as I ask all the guests, what is the number one takeaway action uh, as we wrap things up? Or maybe the best advice uh, for, for muscle building or to do better in life in general, as that really seems to be a big message of yours. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I didn't touch on is something that was probably my, my Achilles heel during my career is just the acceptance of the fact that um, if you're trying to build muscle or if you're trying to lose fat, both of them require a very specific internal environment in your body. And that requires you to not be in a position or a mindset of stress. So, so many bodybuilders and so many people go to the gym and it becomes a stress for them. As soon as you do that, your body's going into cortisol release, adrenaline release, fight or flight mode, switching off rest and digest. Um, and if you let that stay elevated, you don't stand a chance of building muscle, right? So um, learning how to start being mindful of your body, mindful of your thoughts and putting your body in a position to at least have a chance of not always having elevated cortisol and thereby maybe building some muscle, maybe losing some fat. We live in this constantly uh, overstimulated, overstressed state. Um, and if you don't learn to, to at least control your perception to stress, you don't stand a chance. So um, if for anyone out there struggling with their body, it's not your nutrition. It's always your stress. We all know someone who says, oh man, I can eat whatever I want and uh, I still look amazing. Well, maybe their body just handles stress a little bit better than yours does. Maybe their body just handles nutrients better than yours does. Well, how do we influence that? Well, we influence stress and we influence proper training by allowing our body to be more receptive to those nutrients. Um, so first and foremost, address the way you perceive stress with meditation or with just becoming uh, more grateful, you know, gratitude every day. Be grateful that for everything. And those things in themselves should be the catalyst, will be the catalyst for you improving your body in way less time. And it doesn't have to be like your body's fighting against you every day. Let's just dig deeper just a little bit. So <laughs> what, what's what's the practical application? Yeah. What what can people use something very simple to minimize stress on a daily basis? You mentioned two things, meditation and gratitude. Let's yeah. be specific there. Sure, man. So when, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing everybody does? They grab their phone, right? And uh, you're going into reactive mode. Your brain starts going back into high levels of beta and your brain's ripping. you got to start your day with something, even if it's five or ten minutes, to bring you into like a nice, calm alpha state um, so you can be perceptive rather than reactive. Um, you can be aware rather than reactive. Um, all that stuff is massively important. And then creating an anchor. So – um, you know, when I go to the gym now, uh, any situation you're in, whether it be at work, coming home from work, going to the gym, you can learn to anchor yourself. And Tony's the king of this, right? Tony Robbins is the king of this stuff. Like you can learn to anchor yourself to put yourself in an immediate state of mind that's conducive to the outcome you're trying to achieve. So if I'm walking into my house or I've got my three young kids running to the door to be excited to see me, whatever, I got to immediately change my state. I got to immediately anchor myself to being super dad, right? I want to be a superhero to my kids. Okay, so what does that feel like? Um, so, you know, is, is it a name you give that that avatar? Is it a, a feeling? Is it like the jingling of your keys going into the door that switches your brain? Whatever it is. So when it comes to the gym, you got to create something like, you know, maybe it's going to a new gym. And as soon as you go to that gym, you anchor yourself and say, every time I go into this gym, I'm going to be at a peak state of energy and I'm gonna, nothing is going to stress me out. I'm going to only be grateful for everyone that I see, everything that goes on around me. 
I'm going to, I'm going to try to help people. I'm going to be grateful for their energy, for, for the fact that they're trying to improve themselves. Like, would you rather see a really fat person being annoying at the gym or a really skinny person in the drive through at McDonald's? You know, that kind of perception. Like people get so angry when there's like some person in the gym doing something stupid. Well, guess what? They're still in the gym. They're still trying, you know, be grateful for that stuff. So anchoring yourself as soon as you get in the gym to say, you know, I'm only going to have my highest level of energy. I'm only going to have my greatest level of gratitude for everyone in here. And as soon as you feel that start to go away, leave. You've had you've done enough because now your body's shifting into a different state that you just don't want to associate with that gym with the gym, and it may take you a few weeks to where you can sustain that. Like it's not going to be overnight. You might be able to go for ten minutes the first time, and then you get tired, leave. It's just building those great habits of success every time you walk into into a situation. So if it's at work and you're you're a leader, you're, you're a job owner, man, anchor yourself. So the second you walk in that gym, you're that one influencing all of those people to do their highest and best that day, and, and just you know that that in itself. On top of meditation and creating those simple anchors is massive to people's success in, in you know, optimizing their avatar. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for going uh, more deep into that. And to learn more about it, I believe that Tony covers it in Awaken the Giant Within and his great Does book he? there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. Yep. So, Ben, thank you. This has been a great, a lot of great content. And I really appreciate your openness and willingness to share all this uh, great information with us today. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much for having me, man. So as I wrap up episode number 239, I wanted to thank you for joining us this week on the show, and uh, we will be back next week. Uh, as a reminder, if you're not part of the Ardella Training community, go to ardellatraining.com forward slash blueprint to grab a training program, which is a unconventional approach to peak performance, but uh, you can grab peak performance blueprint at ardellatraining.com forward slash blueprint. And uh, if you have done that program, please make sure to share your insight with me about that because this is a very unique approach to performance training and improving skill development. If you've done it, I'd love to get your feedback on it. Shoot me an email uh, or connect with me through ardellatraining.com. Thank you guys for being here this week. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this session and we'll, we will see you again next week here on the podcast. Take care and have a great week.